Stay tuned as we get to know Franklin Town Councilor Glenn Jones coming up next on Chapters. My name's Jim Derrick and welcome to another edition of Chapters. Today in studio we have as our guest Franklin Town Councilor Glenn Jones. Welcome, Glenn. Hey, Jim. Glenn, you've been a town councilor since 2009 here in Franklin, correct? Yes, correct. I was first elected in November 2009. Yeah, 2009. And Glenn and I were talking about his history. Um, you are relatively new to Franklin relative to towny uh, criteria. Yes, yes. Um, my wife and I <clears throat> came uh, from the city. My wife grew up in Rosendale. I grew up in Watertown. And um, when we first got engaged and started looking for a place to live uh my mother was actually the real estate agent and she said hey i found this nice little house that meets all your criteria but uh-huh. it's in a little town called franklin yeah and my wife and i being from the city said well where the hell is frank <laughs> um, you were you lived in watertown yes yeah correct yeah. and um we drove down to franklin we found our little house over here on school street and we fell in love with the house. Yeah. And then inadvertently, after the 20 years of living here, we've fallen in love with Franklin. Clem, we were talking before we came on the air about uh, your public service. And not only are you on town council, but you have done four trips to Haiti. Yes. Uh, you have uh, a real eye towards serving the public. You are a teacher Correct. Uh, by profession. Uh, and you do uh, apprentice uh, teaching in in Boston at JATC. Yes, yeah, that is correct. So everything I just I, as I was reading about you, Glenn, every, I noticed that everything about what you do tends to be focused outward. So I'm interested in in talking to you about what you do. But mm-hmm. can you share with us what it what it means to you to be of service to the public and and why that's so central in your life? Um, a lot of the purpose behind my service oriented position. Uh, comes for two reasons. One is that there's a need that needs to be met uh, within my community, within my town, uh, and and greater. You know, uh, one of my, one of my favorite expressions is that you you can't truly learn to clean up someone else's yard until you learn to clean up your own. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. So you know, I, I start at my own yard. I start at my own house. I work my way out into the community and do my best to help everyone else to the best of my ability. Um, it also boils down to trying to be a reflection for my own children, mm-hmm. a role model to them. And you have um, five children. That's correct. You have a lot of eyes looking at I you. I have five children. Um, one of the things that my mother used to remind me of as I was growing up is that um, you're being seen more than you're being heard. Yeah. And and so, so that's more of how they're going to learn from me. So the best image I could possibly project to them is to actually just show them how to do things. Mm-hmm. And that kind of falls in line with what I've done my whole life, you know, as an electrician. Uh, it's, it's really, it's a hands-on approach towards things. And as a teacher, it's a hands-on approach. As a counselor, it's also a hands-on approach. Everything yeah. I do is with my hands yeah. and with my body. And yeah. I try to show and reflect uh, that mentality so that everyone can see it in hopes that they will also pick up a hammer and join me. Uh-huh. Um, and that's because I can't carry a torch forever. Sure, yeah. You know, I, one of the things, I'll give you an example, for instance, uh, this past April was my third trip to Haiti. Um, 
my two previous trips, I was there in October. I was there in March 2010 and October 2010 for the sole purposes of trying to reconstruct some of the village in the um, orphanage that had been damaged through the earthquake. Right, right. This past April, uh, my daughter had heard the stories from 2010 and multiple times. And this is your 17-year-old daughter, correct? correct? Yeah, 18. Yeah. And she had heard the stories multiple times and had been inspired and wanted to actually go to Haiti. She had actually taken the opportunity to visit Jamaica with another organization called Mustard Seeds. But she had heard about my adventures to Haiti and wanted to take such an adventure with me. So this past April vacation, we um, took a trip to Haiti. And um, needless to say, after the week and, and seeing what it was like to helping the Haitian people, she walked away with a sponsor child of our own. Great. So uh, it's it's really all about bringing everybody together so that they themselves can see it. One of the best um, expressions that was told to me by Pastor Scott Long, who was the president of Mission E4, was um, no matter how many times I asked him, and this is true about everything that I do, politics or, or town or, or mission work, is that, I can explain something to you yeah. as many times as I can. Yeah. I can give you a book and it can explain things to you to the best of its ability. But until you actually get up and get out and see it and do it for yourself, you really don't understand the truth. You right. don't really understand what's going on. Right. And you can't really understand it until you immerse yourself in it and yeah. you feel it. And my goals is to get people immersed themselves yeah. into these things uh, for two reasons. One is to get out and see the world for their own and, and feel and touch and do things and help in, in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, the other way is to learn our trade. For instance, as a teacher, learning and teaching the trade uh, is because I can't, I can't carry a torch. I can't be an electrician forever. Mm -hmm. um, so my hopes is to find um, those who are interested in continuing my path in the trade, teach them what I know mm -hmm. so that I can eventually move on myself to bigger and better things and or retire, which I don't think I'm ever going to be able to retire. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Hey, Glenn, you've been back to Haiti four times. Correct. And, and I know this last trip was particularly uh, ended pretty traumatically with um, uh, protests and, and, and fire bombings going off all around you. And yep. actually, you were on lockdown there for a little bit. Yep. Uh, uh, that, that's a story in and of itself. But I'm curious, how, has the, how have these four trips to Haiti, how have they changed you? Well... The irony of it all is that I was not always a an openly people person. Mm -hmm. You know, being an electrician, I've always felt most comfortable just kind of working by myself. Uh, it wasn't until I started getting involved in the community that I started to feel connected to people. I I mean, I never really understood how much I desire that that feeling of being connected with people. Interesting. And it wasn't until um, running for council and meeting people and getting to know people and then joining on for the mission trip to, to Haiti, which I was inspired to take for two reasons. One is uh, I was sad that I didn't get the opportunity to go down to New York City when the um, 2000, you know, 2001, 9-11 yep. hit. Yep. Um, but I wanted to help out in some capacity. So when I had heard about the earthquake, we had actually had members of our church, New England Chapel, uh, who were in Haiti at the time that the earthquake wow. hit. Wow. Um, so that really inspired me to step up in some capacity and help out. I had actually been un unemployed at the time, back in the recession. Mm -hmm. So I says, well, this is God's calling 
for me to go down and put myself to work. So I went down in March of 2000, um, where stepping foot for the first time into a fifth world country, yeah, um, just that feeling alone is kind of a wake up call. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, you know, everything I've seen and everything I've known my whole life living in the United States is nothing in comparison to what the real world is like. Mm-hmm. And this was the real world. This was a, a country with almost 9 million people who had just been utterly devastated and close to 300,000 people had died because of the earthquake. Um, so stepping down there with a group of about 65 individuals from medical groups to construction workers to um, counselors going down, trying to do our best to get the orphanage built back up. Because what I had learned through the church was that the walls of the orphanage, because everything in Haiti is walled, Mm. had actually fallen outwards. There wasn't a single wall in the orphanage that had fallen inwards. So none of the the children got hurt. It was just a really odd... Isn't that amazing? Yes. It's it's astounding. And um, Not because they were built that way. It just happened. Just some strange, godly fact. Divine intervention. Yeah. I guess you could call it that. Yeah. And... um, so I was manned up with a group of um, five Haitian workers, and I had five missionary helpers who worked together with me to dig some trenches to get some some uh, underground conduits in to try and sure. get some power to the buildings, ultimately build up the compound. Um, and one thing I learned, <clears throat> I, I don't share most of these things with people, but uh, the group of individuals I had working from me the missionary individuals as well as my Haitian workers, I literally broke down in tears with the joy of how people could truly bring themselves from their world of comfort, their world of, of knowing, into a world of unknown and, and, and fear. Uh, the unknown can be a very daunting and scary thing for a lot of people. I agree. Um, yeah. I don't know how I had the capacity to just kind of throw myself mm-hmm. into it, but mm-hmm. it just didn't seem to bother me. I mm-hmm. just kind of went with it. Um, I, I led the crew of 10, and one thing I did was break down <clears throat> in tears, expressing my, my, my happiness to them and saying how much I appreciated all the hard work they put into that week. It was a, it was a 98-degree temperature week. The humidity in Haiti is about 90%. The conditions are probably some of the worst possible living conditions you can have. Mm. Um, the food, ironically, was actually very good, but it takes them all day to cook a meal. So they start their meal at 6 a.m. The ladies start the meal at 6. It takes them most of the day until dinner time. So the, so the largest meal isn't until about 5 p.m. Yeah. When yeah. we eat. Everyone other than that, we... We eat cliff bars and, yeah. and granola bars yeah, and energy yeah. bars like that to keep us yeah. busy. But before we continue on with the story, I just want to take a minute and remind everybody we are speaking with town councilor Glenn Jones. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, chaptersradio.com. So, Glenn, uh, that first experience in Haiti really, really inspired you, and uh, you wanted to move on from there. Um, I had been so inspired by it that. I had continued on to my second adventure in October where they had started to build um, a new girl's uh, sleeping quarters. Yeah. So that sleeping quarters was an offshoot of what we started in March. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I kind of went down and wired up the girl's sleeping quarters. Mm-hmm. So 
that was 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been so busy doing so many other things over the years and getting, um, you know, getting my electrical, getting my electrical teaching license, being involved in the community, and I had always hoped to make it back to Haiti at some point, in some capacity. Uh, and it wasn't until my daughter Jillian came up to me and says, "Dad, you know, are you ever going to go back to Haiti? Because it it it'd been so long; it'd been almost eight years." And I says, well, let me check. Let me check the calendar. And we noticed that it happened to fall on April vacation. Yeah. And I says, well, it's we've they've got a mission trip coming up on April vacation of this year. Would you be interested in going? I don't think I've ever seen my daughter say something so quickly <laughs> when she said yes. She's like, yeah, let's go. This sounds like fun. That's, I'd love to go with Dad to Haiti. I've heard all the stories. So she joined up with me and... The moment we stepped off the plane and she got to see for herself and feel for herself, this kind of boils back to what I was saying earlier, is it's one of those things that I can say and describe There's things. There's no substitute the for the experience, ability. right? But None. until you step yeah. foot for yourself and see for yourself and experience the feelings yep. that are associated with that, um, you, 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 you can't. It's not a, there's no book in the world that yeah. can give you feeling. Yeah. Feeling is something you have to do on your own. And... When she stepped foot there and she got to meet the people, she got to meet some really nice missionary workers, some ladies that were there with about three other girls from around the country, uh, as well as the Haitian people themselves, Um, she became enthralled. She's now, for lack of a better term, hooked on helping out where she can. So they had reached out to me directly Mm -hmm. and said, would you mind coming back in July? And I says, well, let me see. It was kind of a tight because my summer schedule is usually tight. And I said, Sure. I can block off some time between July 3rd and July 8th, and I'll come down and finish up the work that needs to be done. Right. So they, I was fortunate enough to to have my way paid to go back to Haiti. And when I got there, I started to work on the first floor, which hadn't been finished when I was there in April. But tried to get as much done until about Friday, July 6th, yep. when we got news actually we didn't get the news until saturday morning but around six o'clock on friday night on july 6th the prime minister of haiti had announced to the haitian people that they were going to be raising the cost of their fuel they were going to raise kerosene as much as 51 percent wow they were going to raise diesel as much as 46 percent they were going to raise gasoline as much as 35 percent now in one of the poorest countries in the world Mm. that has a population of about 80 percent unemployment of their population is unemployed. This is a devastating news for them. Huge. Yeah. Uh, they revolted. Yeah. So what had happened was, starting in the center of Port-au-Prince, which was about 25 minutes uh, east of where we were in Liagang, um, many of the protesters set up significant roadblocks to prevent people from traversing the city, as well as uh, setting fire to a couple of gas stations. They they set fire to a uh, grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up, a few security people, I think, ended up getting killed from protesters. Uh, but their main goal was to shut down the country. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, is that once information spread from Port-au-Prince, it had worked its way all the way out to the outskirts of Liagang, there were roadblocks set up probably about every 10 feet. Wow. At, holy, every 10 feet? Yeah. Holy smokes! And you got you, you got word from our embassy that you were to shelter in place. Uh, no, nope, nope. or did you not Actually, get the word? Um, our, our first word of the uh, revolution came about five a.m. on Saturday morning. Okay, uh, Pastor Basile, who is the orphanage 
pastor yep. who actually runs the orphanage in Leogang. Mm -hmm. He had tried to trek into Leogang to get uniform, school uniforms mm -hmm. for the students mm -hmm. um, when he couldn't get in because of the roadblocks. Yeah. So he had been turned back and he'd come back to the orphanage and, and reported to everybody that that they were that what the situation was. And, and when you say roadblocks, what's happening at these roadblocks? Uh, well, a lot of the road, a lot of the roadblocks were makeshift, but the closer you got towards uh, the main city, they were significant. Uh, like for instance, by two o'clock on Friday afternoon, <clears throat> when we got this information, it was actually Friday afternoon. That's Saturday. Uh, kids had been setting up little boulders across the street so what? people couldn't drive over them. Blocking your way, literally. Bottom line, yep. shutting shutting it down. <clears throat> Yep. That was out by where we were. As we got closer, probably about a few miles down the road, uh, there were trucks that were stalled on purpose, mm -hmm. and they were crisscrossing the road so people couldn't get by. Got it. There were uh, large uh, piles of broken glass. Got there it. was uh, wire so that, that would, tires were getting tangled fires. and tires, fires. Yeah. There were tires set on fire, wires set on fire. Um, you know, there, were, there were gangsters kind of lining the side of the road to prevent people from going by. Mm -hmm. Um, it, for, but for the most part, even though we had to trek our way back and that was an adventure in and of itself, <clears throat> um, we understood that their frustration wasn't geared towards Americans. Right. Their frustration wasn't geared towards other people or other countries or other issues. It was really mainly geared towards their prime minister. Mm. Um, and the fact that anyone who even had any money, which is a few people in and of itself, we're going to be devastated by this news. Yeah. And yeah. they weren't going to take it. So their focus 100% was really towards the government. Yeah. So you get out of there on the 7th of July, was it? Or uh, We did. Excuse me. Okay. We, we did venture out. We, we were going to try and venture out on the 7th. Uh, my flight was going out on the 8th. Okay. But revolution was in such an uproar at the time. And the roadblocks were so significant at the time that we decided to wait to the morning. Incredible. And you do, you wind up getting out of there. Um, and earlier I'd asked you how this had changed you. And, mm -hmm. and what I saw in your eyes was um, a real expression of awe, I'm going to call it, um, at the human spirit mm -hmm. uh, and the will of people that were leading comfortable lives to immerse themselves mm -hmm. in, situ in a situation. I'm putting words in your mouth yep. here, so nope. feel free to, nope, to stop fine. me to immerse themselves in a situation which at best is uncomfortable. And that's like, you know, <laughs> uncomfortable is the understatement of the century. Yes. Um, and to take great personal risk and sacrifice uh, and that all of you were in it for the same reason. And that must have been a, a real humbling feeling in a way. Yeah. Um, most of the people that I've met who go on these trips, uh, everyone's looking for, and, and uh, as I like to express simplistic way I possibly can is purpose yeah uh, everybody is in search of something mm -hmm. and anybody who shows up on these mission trips they're obviously in search of something yep. whether it be uh, for themselves or for whom they're going to help or through God whatever their goals ultimately are but I think what happens is at the end of the day when people finally put themselves in situations like this where they're compelled to help but not really fully understand what they're putting themselves into, mm -hmm. they are in, uh, undoubtedly changed um, and a lot of times rerouted. Their thought process is rerouted. Love that you said that. And that gets back to what you keep saying, which is 
Uh, it's the experience that matters. Yes. It's not talking about it. It's not reading about yep. it. It's the actual immersion in the experience. Yep. And you know, this, that's a, that's a great lesson. Um, I was very fortunate and very fortunate to have my father still uh, very vibrant and living uh, great teacher by example, mm-hmm. and took me on many walks through Needham center and introduced me to many shop owners. And he was a great, great communicator is a great communicator. And, um, I learned a lot from about how to talk to people mm-hmm. from my dad and about the importance of honoring each person's story. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you and I'm getting that same feeling. And the interesting thing to me is that wasn't your default position. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, when you talked earlier about the fact that, um, this wasn't a natural thing. You hadn't naturally been drawn to talking to people that you've, that nope. you've found this passion <clears throat> later in life. Yes, that's, that's yeah. correct. Um, <clears throat> hadn't worked in the trade for so long. I, I really was isolated to yeah. just the individuals that I work with. Yeah. Um, I had learned some significant people skills simply by being in the service industry, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until I had put myself in the realm of, of our community that I truly understood my passion for, for wanting to listen and understand people's concerns. Yeah. Uh, and, and was drawn to it. And, and what it boils down to is, is helping out. And when helping out to whatever capacity I, I can, yep. uh, the one thing I've always understood, and a lot of this I learned from my mother who was a teacher, my sister who was a teacher, my dad was a Marine, um, is to know your limitations. Yeah. Uh, so what I do as, an, as a counselor and what I do as a service person is if I can't solve the problem directly for you, I can find somebody who can. Right. So it's all about getting the job done. Right. Getting it done with compassion. With compassion. And to- with and putting the people before yourself. Yes. I want to remind people, we are speaking with Town Counselor Glenn Jones from Franklin, Massachusetts. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, www.chaptersradio.com. Glenn, uh, let's talk a little bit about Town Council. Yes. Um, I, uh, you know, and, and it's so great to get to know you outside of your role as a counselor and, and not just talk about the, the crossing our T's and dotting our I's relative <laughs> to the Franklin budget and everything, because yeah. who you are as a person informs how you'll behave as a, as a town counselor yep. or in any other role you assume. Um, and true. so I appreciate you sharing that. Yep. You've been serving now, you're coming up on a decade. Almost. Um, and, and what I really appreciate about that continual service is that it's been my observation that uh, you're not going to figure out how to how town council operates in a short two-year term. No. And so how important has that experience been for you? Uh, it's been... One of the largest factors in my life, a mm-hmm. huge changing factor in my life, mm-hmm. um, on teaching me how really how people are and how people think, and learning about how our government works, how our communities run, uh, why Franklin is one of the best places to live and raise a family. There right. is a reason for that. Um, for instance, <clears throat> you mentioned about learning how things are are done and understanding how things are run. Well, back in probably our third election, we had a few individuals who kind of came on to the campaign with the, well, the town council stinks. They're yes. Just, they're just, <laughs> I was here know, for they're, that. They're, I know. they're not, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not meeting the town's needs, so on and so forth. And we really need to, to make a change with this. And the, the, I, this was this person's response. And my response immediately following was that, well, you know, the town of Franklin's been named four times, now even more so, the safest and best place to live mm-hmm. and or raise a family. And do you think that leadership had anything to do with that? Because it certainly did. 
Uh, our leadership, um, our council has, has done a significantly good job in keeping tabs on the things, needs that the, that the, that the citizens have, as well as what, what the town administrator's needs are and what the town as a administration, mm-hmm. their needs are. Um, so as a counselor, you know, my job and what I believe my job is, and it's not something you can learn right away, is to not only be a conduit for the needs of the citizens, but be an understanding individual in regards to the administration. So it's a balancing act of trying to meet the needs of the citizens, but understanding that our resources, like many places in this world, are limited. Mm -hmm. And you have to find that balance. And we were talking earlier about the nature of the word politics and Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that Politics is not a bad word. It's basically getting along with people in a setting in which we're all trying to work together on a body, in this case, the town council and the the administration. Um, uh, We're all trying to get together to solve common problems. Yes. Okay. And, And recognizing that each of us have a different priority that we put on problems. Correct. There called an agenda. Yes. And again, not a bad word. And, and Glenn, we had a great conversation about that. And the fact that, um, you know, when people go into it with the best intentions, which mm-hmm. is putting other people forward, you have to be able to get along with people. Yes. And one of the things is you're very easy to talk to. Thank you. Um, and and uh, uh, you're very forward-leaning, and 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 uh, the first person I can tell just by by looking at what you're doing, the first person to say yes when somebody needs something, mm-hmm. I, I want to help. So, you know, town counselors aren't paid. It's it's nope. strictly volunteer. That's correct. Um, you are not a real estate developer. Nope. You do not have a business in town. Nope. That you're operating for profit. I do not. Okay. The only business I work for is the are the students. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to detract from a town council that may have that, but I'm I'm speaking specifically to you yes. and looking right at you. That's an important thing to you. It's extremely important because it allows me a, a sense of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with coming in with no biases and no own, none of my own personal agendas yeah. or no business-related agendas or anything of the sorts, it allows me to look at the bigger picture. It also allows me the opportunity to support those, those areas of the town that if I had had interest in would be potential conflict of interest. Right. So, so, so coming with no agenda, no kind of bias of my own in no sense to say allows me to help everybody mm-hmm. it allows me to help the businesses um, as the former e- chairman of economic development for three years right i got to meet a multitude of various business owners in the town right. and being a person myself who doesn't own a business or doesn't have a specific interest in a business uh, it allowed me the flexibility of helping those businesses because there wouldn't be that potential conflict of interest absolutely um and, and, I, and when they're speaking with you they know that that it's a clean slate yes. if you will for lack of a better word it's it, i'm in a in a keen position where i can offer myself to a, to a multitude of, of different parts of the town commercial industrial residential yep. issues uh com- government issues you know budget related issues the only thing uh, on my end, that is the only real potential conflict of interest is the fact that I work for Tri-County. Right. Yep. Uh, and that is one of our line items, mm-hmm. which I have to sustain from voting on yep. when it comes time for the budget. Um, but other than that, um, I'm open to helping everybody in the community to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said before, if I don't know the answers, I can definitely find somebody who does. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to your question on how long does this stuff take to learn, yeah. um, you certainly cannot learn to be an effective politician and or town councilor 
within less than two year term. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's that first two years as a counselor is really part of the learning curve. Right. Uh, just even picking up on the nuances of how our town runs. I mean, in that two-year period, I mean, just two years may sound like a long time. That's 24 meetings. Correct. It is, I mean, it's a short period you've got of some, time. Obviously, you've got some other meetings outside of that. Hopefully, you're on a committee or two or three. Yes. You're speaking with a town administration, um, and you're working. But but relative to organized meetings, that's 24 meetings. It, it goes by in a flash, it's a short, it? It's a short period of time, but it also boils down to the simple fact of how much you personally immerse yourself into right, something. Right, um, We do only have 24 meetings roughly within the two-year time frame. But outside of our meetings, it boils down to how much you personally, as a as an elected official, immerse yourself into the community. Right. You know, I go to m- multiple activities that go on within the town, whether mm-hmm. they be sports events or, or, or football games or visiting the senior center and going down to the seniors and hearing what their concerns are or going to the schools or going to the library or going to public events that are in town and listening, because that's really, in my opinion, my own personal opinion as a counselor, the key to being an effective person. Because when we get to our council meetings, the goal is to have had done your homework. Yeah. Um, one of the things that people don't understand is that our meetings seem like they're very um, structured, like yeah. they're already done, like we've already made these decisions. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We, uh, we have probably already made our decisions because we've gone out into the community. We've listened to their people's concerns. So when it comes time to making a vote on a particular form of legislation or a bylaw or a zoning change or a tax issue or, or budget issue, we've, we should have already done our homework. Mm-hmm. And one of the things as an instructor and as a teacher and as a person who grew up in an education educational household is it's key to do your homework. Yeah. Um, and you can't even learn to do your homework until you've spent that two-year learning curve right. of understanding, okay, this is how this works. Yeah, an example of that, I think, would be, and the other thing is you bring your life experience into play. Yes. So not only are you speaking to people, but then you're empathizing. And I know um, on Pond Street, um, I was reading some of your comments relative to that, and you were speaking about growing up in a mixed residential commercial yes. area yourself and right. understanding firsthand the impact of that yes. and pledging to people that that impact will be first in your mind when you're making decisions about how this town's going to look. Yes. Right? It's, it's, it's important to, well, first of all, it's important to bring your own life into this because you know, you're, you're elected by the people based on who you are. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to try and translate to the people to the best of your ability, what you are wholeheartedly you know, as honest, as open, as transparent as you can possibly be mm-hmm. um, with what your ideas and thoughts and, and experiences and, and right. everything are right. so that when I bring those with me, people feel comfortable that I can represent them appropriately. Exactly. Uh, that's the goal. That's the point of being a counselor. That's the point of being any representative to the people mm-hmm. is that the people feel comfortable having you in that position so that when it does come time to make a key decision or a key vote, that you're going to meet the needs of what those citizens are. Right. And the other thing that you're saying is, that, gee, if I if I don't know a particular posi- pos- a point of view because I haven't experienced it myself, I'm going to invest the time, which Correct. is what you were talking yep. about, and get out and meet with people. Yes. Um, Glenn, what is the biggest challenge that the town ca- council faces today in your mind? Um, I would say it's always the biggest issue is our budget. Yeah. Um, it always has been, always will be. It's a systemic issue for everybody. Uh, I mean, you can always say, and, and being a person who's actually seen a country that has no money, right? Um, you can actually say 
that it's a systemic issue across the board, that there's never really truly enough money to go around. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that a lot of money in, in various aspects isn't spent the way it should be spent. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of par for the course for no matter what organization you're with, you mm -hmm. can always find some fat that can be trimmed. Uh, I think the town of Franklin has done a tremendous job in, in managing itself. Our town administrator, Jeff uh, Nutting, has done a superb job in squeezing out as much water out of the rocks as yeah. we possibly can with yeah. our taxpayers' dollars, which is why Franklin has had been able to sustain a, a reasonable residential tax rate, Yeah, uh, makes it a desirable place to come and live. Um, but we've also been able to provide extremely high levels of services, whether it be our fire, our DPW, our, our police department, our educational system, as well as just the overall amenities that the town has from recreation department and so on and so forth. I mean, I, I joke every year, when the budget comes up and, and Ryan Jetty, our athletic director, comes up and he says, okay, we have a balanced budget. I go, I love you guys <laughs> because they're they're completely fee-based and yeah. all their money is, is through the fees and yeah. not, not really taxing the citizens. He does sense. a tremendous job over there. He does a great job. I've been working with him on the uh, as part of the Franklin Public School uh, Substance Abuse Task Force, mm -hmm. and um, I'm just so impressed with that, that organization. But please continue, yeah. And so... Obviously, the budget being the biggest nugget, I know we're up to about 120 million. Yeah. Now, when I first started on the council, it was about 96, 98 million yeah. dollars. Oh, wait, yeah, about 98 right. million. And the large, largest portion of that obviously goes towards the schools. Yeah. I mean, in, in my almost is nine, about what is it, 60 percent or so? Yeah, it's about 65 yeah. percent. Okay. Give or take. It's yeah. close. It's pretty. It's pretty large. Yeah. Large portion of which the state funds. Through, right. Through Chapter 70 funding. Uh, one of the best things, though, that happened to this town was was everyone stepping up and voting for the new high school. Yes, um, that was huge. You know, eighty percent of the voters approved that um, cost expense, which, like we were speaking earlier, a lot of people don't understand the numbers that go into this. Yeah, it I, seems. I had mentioned to Glenn. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I was one of the guys with a two and a half override sign out there, and I was getting a lot of criticism for that way back when. And I remember that was kind of my entree to the notion that. We, meaning John Q. Public, me, need to do a little more research relative to uh, to how the budget's put together, A, and B, who is contributing to what? Because I remember participating in uh, some, uh, I guess you call them debates, uh, arguments, whatever, about the new high school and people saying, well, Franklin, we keep complaining we don't have enough money and here we are building this brand new high school. They just finished the fire station. So, Glenn, on that topic, um, you know, something like the high school, how was that funded? Well, about 57% of uh, the high school funding came from the Mass School Building Association. Yep. So being the largest contributor to that funding, they had a lot of say in how the high school turned out. Uh, we we contributed approximately 40, you know, 43 or in change percent of the total cost. It was originally slated at about 104.6 million. It went down actually to 103.6. That never happens. Give or take. It's true. It never happens. <laughs> it was actually done. Just did. It was actually done uh, ahead of schedule. Um, the, the fields took a little while to finish while, right. while we had the parking lot because the fields got moved. Uh, and we have finally successfully had our first fireworks back after years That's of right. fighting to go to get those back. Yeah. We had those fired off on our baseball fields, which is exciting. Uh, but it, in general, it's been almost four years now. My daughter actually graduated, was the, was the first graduating class um, that fully went through the high school without yeah. ever seeing the old high school. Yep. Uh, she's now off to UConn. It's great. It's great to see the growth. Um, some of the growth 
can have a negative impact on the town. Right. But most of the growth has had quite a positive impact on the town, which is why we do continue to be one of the best places to live. Uh, but the high school in general uh, is is a great is a great architectural feat. It really is beautiful, mm. absolutely gorgeous. And 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 what is one of the first thing people looking to move into a what we are now as a bedroom community look for, and that's the school. Yes. How's the school look? How's it performing? Really, well, really well. It, it's actually it's it's even more than that. Um, when businesses and homeowners and and commercial entities and industrial entities look to move someplace, mm -hmm. they actually look at the educational system as one of the major driving forces. We have had we have had businesses move in because they're looking at the skill set, the skill levels of the of the individuals that live in that town. They're hoping to siphon off of the community some of those highly intelligent, sure. highly skilled individuals for their for their purposes. Mm -hmm. And it's completely logical. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a if you have a high tech bio company, for instance, like Tegra Medical that comes in, uh, not only are they positioning themselves in a town that has a flat tax rate, um, that has that is very business friendly. Yep. But they have the opportunity to choose from some highly intelligent, highly skilled individuals that right. live here in Franklin. Right. So it's a, almost a win-win for most of those companies. Mm -hmm. I remind everybody, we're speaking with Town Councilor Glenn Jones. Glenn is a Town Councilor coming up on a decade of service to our community here in Franklin, Massachusetts. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at www.chaptersradio.com. Mm -hmm. Glenn, the impact, uh, you talked about growth. Mm -hmm. You talked about growth. And one of the things, I've been in Franklin now since 1986. Mm -hmm. And ever since I've lived here, the uh, one of the biggest criticisms of town council, town council deserved or not deserved, was that we were a town that was growing with no plan, that uh, it was uh, out of control, and um, soon there wouldn't be a bird left in town, <laughs> let alone a, a place to mow your lawn. It was just, yes. it was just out of control. Um, well, that's actually technically impossible. Uh, why? Because we have a master plan. Um, several years back, I know Jeff Roy had worked on it when he was a counselor on, yep. the, on the town council, uh, as well as myself and other, other counselors directly in the subcommittees and the various subcommittees that were associated with building the master plan. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, we, we have a guide. Right. Uh, the guide does currently need a little bit of revision. And anybody can look at the master plan. That is correct. It's yeah. online. They Available. Can go, they can go to the Frank. They can go to franklinmass.com, You know, Franklin Mass website. <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, review the master plan. In fact, as the former communication liaison for the council, one of our goals was to make our website as user friendly as possible. Thank you for doing that. So, yeah. so if every if anybody ever has any questions in regards to uh, our master plan, mm -hmm. our zoning, our business entity, uh, um, you know, forms and permits, mm -hmm. that they can go directly to our website. If they have DPW questions, uh, they can go directly to the DPW webpage. They mm -hmm. can get information in regards towards the drought. Mm -hmm. They can get information in regards to their trash pickup, recycling. The whole um, thing. Yep. You name it. In fact, you know, it's funny you say that because one of my favorite places in town is the recycling center. Uh, they have a tremendous amount of things that they recycle. It's a huge earth green type of environment mm -hmm. where if you've if you feel you have anything from plastics to batteries to smoke detectors to fluorescent light bulbs to old televisions and everything, so on and so forth, they take that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, I can't think of many things they don't. Right. And it's great because it's all recycled mm -hmm. um, and it's put it's put back into the industry where they can be reused yeah. and not put into our environment where it destroys our, yeah. our, our earth. 
But um, there are a multitude of things that the, the website has to offer. Uh, I kind of lost track. That's okay. Um, no, and we were talking about the master plan. So the development of the master plan has been developed and it's reviewed regularly. Yes. And it's updated regularly. Mm-hmm. Right. What I talked a little bit about this notion that council just lets growth go on and that they're, you know, and and clearly by virtue of the fact that there is a master plan, yes. that's technically impossible. Yes. But to to clarify what exactly the council, yeah. ha- the responsibilities of the council are, uh, we manage zoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have the capacity to manage anything that the planning board does. We don't have the capacity to manage what the health board does or the health department. Uh, as well as the the, um, the permitting in the in the building department, what we do have control over is the ultimate macro plan, and that macro plan boils down to how we lay out the zones within the town. Mm-hmm. Um, we have various zones from Res One through Res Four. We have Res Seven. We have uh, Commercial One, Commercial Two, Industrial, Light Industrial. We have a whole variety of different zoning that we that we apply across the town to the best of our ability through through multitude of meetings um, that will ultimately help the town grow the way we want it to grow. Like, right. like for instance, um, over at Forge Park, yeah. uh, this, was, this was zoned long before I got on the council, mm-hmm. but the Forge Park area was originally zoned to be industrial, to be industrial commercial area. Mm-hmm for the sole purposes of building those types of companies. And it has already come to fruition. In fact, they're one of our more, for lack of a better term, lucrative tax contributors. Sure. As well as areas that we've zoned for business. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, um, Stop and Shop, that Stop and Shop area over there, as well as, um, I'll give you an example of that, but the Stop and Shop area where Longhorns and all those different businesses sure. are, mm-hmm is one of our largest tax contributors to the town. So one of the, one of the biggest misconception, misconceptions is people seem to think that it's a residential tax dollars that actually drive and fuel the town towards yeah. a yep. larger percentage of what our tax base is, when in fact it's our commercial base. Right, and our, I would tell you that having been a resident that considered moving to a nearby community closer to the 128 belt, mm-hmm. uh, I was unable to do that happily, mm-hmm. because I'm very happy here, because my tax rate would have been approximately, well, probably another three quarters on top of what I'm paying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a significant bump um, for no better service. Yes. But there's no industrial tax base from there from them to pull in there. Yes. And, and what, we, what we have here in Franklin is approximately 20 percent of our tax base is commercial industrial. Eighty percent uh, being residential. Uh, one of the biggest d- discussions that comes up every single December because we have to set the tax rate, mm-hmm. which gets raised automatically by two and a half percent in December uh, to decide whether we want to keep the tax rate flat or if we want to have a dual tax rate, right. and there's a lot of misunderstanding of what that means. There are some communities that have a dual tax rate, but it's actually detrimental in some cases, particularly in Franklin's case. We're not in a position where we can strong arm our businesses, and we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, that's why we keep a flat tax rate. Mm-hmm. But one of the misconceptions that a lot of residents have is that solely their tax dollars are going towards all of these services, when in fact the largest percentage comes out of the 20% that is that commercial industrial base. So when I'm thinking of town services that I'm that I'm benefiting from, mm-hmm. uh, I need to know 
that uh, I'm only pay sh- paying for a portion of yes, that cost. Correct. And that's an important. That's a very very important thing, particularly as you look at the master plan and you take everything in context. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's important if you want your tax rate to go up significantly, uh, then you'd shut down any type of growth like this. Mm-hmm. One of the concerns I have, Glenn, again, my agenda is um, being a resident that lives off of Route 140. Yep. Uh, and liking to travel through this town. My concern is I don't want 140 to turn into another Route 1. Correct. And uh, up on uh, in the on the um, east side of um, town, uh, towards um, between uh, really King Street and um, the Country Club, uh, there's a significant amount of undeveloped land on the over by Ficos and yes, and so on and so yep. forth. Um, in general, what is your feeling about, or 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 what can you? Tell me about the development of the 140 stretch on that in a town and overall. Well, again, uh, this kind of goes back to what I was discussing and what the council actually has the ability to control. And yep. We don't have the ability to control. Yep. We, we do not have the ability to control private property owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, private property owners have the ability. This kind of all circles back to what we were talking about earlier. Private property owners have the ability to build within their the constraints of the zoning that we've laid out. Mm-hmm. So if that commercial, like for instance, if that stretch of road is zoned commercial two, um, they have the capacity to build within those zoning restrictions. Yep. So if that means that they can build up to four buildings with about a dozen different types of re- retail and or mixed use purposes, mm-hmm. they have the right to do that. The council actually has little or no say in that matter whatsoever. A large portion of that is actually focused around the planning board mm-hmm. and the building department. So if there are if there are issues that people have with um, a particular type of building that's going up or a particular type of uh, construction that's going on, that actually is directed towards the planning board. Right. Because the the <clears throat> as long as they're within the zoning uh, criteria, then the council has little or no say in, in what they have the capacity to build. Okay. And so when it comes to the master plan, it's the con. That's the con. That's the lens that you're looking. Through. That's the macro. What What can we, what can we do within the framework? A that we have jurisdiction over that we're responsible mm-hmm. for. B, within those zoning requirements, mm-hmm. those on private property interests and all that other thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not just these aren't decisions that are made in a vacuum with with where you have absolutely no um, uh, no guiding. Um, for lack of a better word, principles, mm-hmm. laws, and everything else. And I think that's a misconception that we, John Q. Public, carry around, is that the counselors are kings uh, and can do whatever they want in town, and they're making these decisions based on their, either, A, their own personal interests, or, B, somebody's influenced them improperly, so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is we have planning boards. We yes. have It's a whole orchestra yes. uh, that's making this thing happen. It, it's, and that includes the budgets, too. That's correct. It, it's not... It, the misconception that the counselors or council or, or in, has the capacity to do every, everything follows under really strict guidelines. Right. There, there are laws, there are guidelines, there are conflict of interest rules. There are, there's a variety of things that govern how we do our jobs. We are not ever, ever, ever in a position that we can just simply take our own personal feelings, ideas, and agendas and apply them for our own ultimate selfish goals. It's right. just not how it works. Right. There, 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 are, there are rules, there are regulations, there's a variety of things, that guidelines that we have to follow, as well as a vow that we give to the community about taking our own personal ideas, opinions out of this and right. just simply focusing on the, the town's needs. Every single counselor from the dawn of the council has taken that vow 
and for the most part has followed those rules. Right. I, I can't I can't speak for others, but I know for myself that I have never and will never break those rules. Yeah. It's because at the end of the day, um, this all spirals spirals back to what I talked about earlier. If because I'm showing visually to others who I am and what things are and how things should be done. Um, and that's seen, you know, my children see that, my students see that, my friends see that, you see that community sees that. Um, so if they're seeing that, then, then they, if I'm making poor decisions in any shape or form, I would expect them to turn around and a talk to me. Sure. B, if it were uh, extraneous, just vote me out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have no problem, uh, with, people coming up to me and saying, you know what, I don't think that choice you made, the decision you made was the best possible choice you could have, could maybe you've thought of that differently. I would never be so yeah, ignorant as to ignore something like that. As our state rep, Jeff Roy, says a lot, uh, if you agree with me mm -hmm. uh, more than 70% of the time, then maybe you might need a, a good psychologist or something. Right. There's something <clears throat> wrong. I'm not doing my job. Yes. I'm not pushing forward yes. hard enough or, or uh, making enough decisions yeah. because ultimately we... We are all going to disagree at some point. It's true. We are all going to disagree, but as a whole, as an entity, my sole purpose is really within the boundaries of Franklin. Mm -hmm. I care so much about this community because mm -hmm. I told you before, I fell in love with this community, is that it boils down to everybody coming to a collective understanding of how we really want our town to be. Yeah. It starts with the master plan, and it took many people to, to, to foster that plan, to bring that to a fruition that allows the, the council to have a guide that allows the community to understand what that direction is. And not only that, but for they themselves to take the opportunity to get involved. And this all kind of stems back to what we talked about earlier is having people immerse themselves into the community, get themselves involved in positions. If they're not comfortable with putting themselves in a higher political position like the council, then get involved in a lower level, you know, get involved in the, in the PTAs, get involved, uh, at the YMCA with the students at the YMCA, uh, help out with athletics, be a soccer coach, be a softball coach, safe coalition, you know, safe, exactly. Yeah. Help out with the safe coalition, yeah. get, get involved in some aspect that you feel the most comfortable with. Sure. You know, when I, when I first started, um, getting to know citizens in the town, one of my first logical steps towards learning as much about the town yeah. before I even thought about running for council was to spend Monday nights playing cribbage with the seniors at the senior center. So if you really want to know a lot, you talk to your peers, yeah. you, know, you talk to your seniors, you get to know what's going on because if anybody has their nose to the grindstone or their ears to the wall, it's the seniors. That's right. They are brilliant intelligent, experienced individuals who and know they have wisdom. everything in wisdom. And wisdom, which is just not yep. that they, they're smarter than we are, but they've been around the track a few more times yes. and they recognize the scenery when they see and it. And they will tell you everything and anything with no holes barred. There you go. And it's a, it's a great, that was one of my greatest experiences. I also admit uh, for a person who thought was a good cribbage player, uh, <laughs> stepped into the realm of the senior center and really realized that I'm really not good at that. <laughs> hey, Glenn, uh, I can tell, uh, I, I'm going to ask you this question anyway. The benefit that you've enjoyed having been a town counselor, how would you describe that? What, how has that helped you become a better person, a better dad, a better citizen, a better Christian, whatever it happens to be? Um, I guess, I mean, a, the jo a joke I said to somebody yesterday, because a lot of people ask me why I do as many things as I do, 
it really boils down to is I get bored. Yeah. I get bored very easily. And, and, and I need to feel like I'm helping out in some capacity mm-hmm. in some way, whether it be with my own children or with my wife and, and my, in my church or whether it be with Mission E4 or whether it be with the council um, or whomever, my students and, or at Boston JETC. It just really boils down to the fact that I have this need of my own and that need is to try to help those who help, who can, who can have the capacity to help others. This has uh, really of, enhanced your. I'm sorry, I just interrupted. Yep, Go ahead. One I'm of one of that. one of the things that I've always believed root cause of the things that I like to do and do in my life stem from my father, who was a marine. My, my unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was about two weeks shy of my 18th birthday as a senior sorry. in high school. Yeah. And so when I come across students who have a similar situation, I can relate to that. But one of the things that my dad used to say to me is, um, you know, I'm here to give you what you need. I'm not here to give you what you want. Yeah. So he used to have some great dadisms that I pass on to my kids. But one of the things I understood from, from as early as my teenage years was that you can't really truly learn to love others until you learn to love yourself first. And I've, I've always had a solid belief in myself and by doing so, I had the capacity to take that and project that outwards. Yeah. And that's my goal, is to find and, and teach the next generation who are willing to step up as leaders um, to understand how great our community really is, how to understand how wonderful our country is, uh, to follow uh, kind of some of our old school guides and understand that you know if you keep your heart in the right place and you follow some some basic guidelines you can continue to make this country and this community one of the best places to be Boy. and and that's that's our that's our that's our purpose yeah. because it's all about you know it's interesting i watched a show the other day i don't know if you ever heard of the show um lucy there's a no. there's a movie called lucy i love movies <clears throat> and and um who's who's the guy who has the the voice from um, the credit card commercials. You've seen him. He's been in like every movie. Oh, I know. I know the guy you're talking about. But I can't. He he's in the movie, and he has an interesting perspective about human beings, and about uh, cre- our creature as as ourselves. Is that human beings grow, and their sole biological purpose is to gather information and then pass that information to the next generation, whether it be biologically or genetically or, or, or intellectually, but it's to gather and pass on, gather and pass on. And it, it just, it rung with me in many senses in the sense that that's how I feel. You know, it's about gathering as much information and gathering as much as I can about the world that I live in and passing it on to others. Because the only way, the only way that we're ever going to become um, more mature more advanced, more intellectual, uh, more understanding of the world, country, and universe that we live in is by us all getting together collectively, learning as much as we can and passing it on to the next generation. I could not agree more. By sharing stories, which we try to do in this radio program, um, we enrich uh, the future because we've all, we all gather wisdom. And, and why just keep it locked away? Mm-hmm. You know, Glenn, the other thing that I'm, that I'm really impressed with in speaking with you is I can just see it and feel it and sense it in talking to you, is that in being involved with the community mm-hmm. as opposed to a spectator, um, your quality of life goes up precipitously. Um, I can just see that in talking to you, that, that you know that you're having an impact on mm-hmm. your neighbors, your friends, 
uh, the businesses out there, and importantly, your family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got five kids that are benefiting yes. by watching their dad be involved, whether it's in Haiti or here locally, uh, knowing that they've had a direct role in what, in what mm. they have here. I'm now actually the clerk of the council, which I'm very, very proud to Thank have you. that position of. So. Yeah, yeah. So this it, it's very motivating to hear your story, Glenn, and thank you for sharing it. No, because, I'm happy to. You know, sitting on the sidelines, uh, we're all very, very busy, and not everybody can be a town counselor, but we can all do something, you know, and there's Franklin Food Pantry, where I know you're headed yeah. next. There's wonderful organizations in this town, which are part of really the rich fabric of, of Franklin and, and why I love this town so much, because there's a lot of really good people doing really, really good work for other people yes, in this town. Yes, and I are. include you in that category. Glenn, I want to thank you for your service to thank our you. town. Thank you for having um, me in today. And thank you for sharing your story today Happy on Chapters. To. And so for my guest, Town Councilor Glenn Jones, my name's Jim Derrick, saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>